Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Healthy, Wealthy, and Smart podcast. This is podcast number 175. Today, we're focused on the shift to ICD-10. So it's been a week now since ICD-10 was implemented. We're talking October 1st was the first day everyone should have shifted from the ICD-9 coding system for a diagnosis to the ICD-10 coding system for diagnosis. And today, I'm really happy to have on Rick Gawenda. He's a licensed physical therapist with 23 years of experience, currently serves as the founder and president of Gawenda Seminars and Consulting. So if you need any extra info on ICD-10, and we mentioned this during the podcast, you can hop over to gawendaseminars.com, and we give a lot of other uh, resources to find out more about ICD-10, just to make sure that everything is on the up and up and you're doing it the right way. So what do we talk about in today's episode? I took a lot of questions from uh, listeners from across the country, and we sort of put them into a couple different categories, and I think we've answered them all, I hope at least. If you have any more, you can either shoot them over to me. You can go to podcast.healthywealthysmart.com, go to the contact page, and uh, send me an email, and in the subject line, just put ICD-10, and I'll make sure that uh, you get an answer. Or you can find myself on Twitter, at Karen Litzy NYC, or you can find Rick Gawenda on uh, Twitter. I think it's at Gawenda Seminars. And just shoot us a tweet, and we'll definitely get back to you. Okay, so what are we talking about in today's episode? Today we're talking about that seventh character, what the heck is it and when do you need to use it? We're talking about how many codes do you need to have on a claim form? How many is too many? Is 20 too many? Is 10 too many? Listen here and you'll find out. We also talk about the external cause code. Uh, so this is what everybody's been passing around on social media, you know, like getting hit by a macaw, your uh, water skis f- lighting on fire and uh, X or injury due to handheld electronic device. Um, uh, so when when do you really have to use those codes? When is it necessary to do that? And 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 a lot more. But <clears throat> I think we tried to get to a lot of your questions. Oh, you know what else we talk about? Um, the difference between uh, the treatment code and a diagnosis code or if you will, a medical code versus a therapy code. So what is the difference? When do you have to use that? Uh, I know that it seems confusing because we have ICD-9 with X amount of codes, and now ICD-10 has a lot more codes that may correspond to one single code uh, from ICD-9. But Rick is great. He goes through all of it, breaks it down. I have to tell you, it was really helpful for me. Um, and what we also do is we he actually goes through, we probably went through a, a, maybe three or four examples of how you would code for a specific diagnosis. So please, uh, uh, I hope you love this podcast. I think it'll clear up a lot of confusion out there when it comes to ICD-10. Um, and, and it also seems to me like we should all have the ICD-10 book. Uh, you'll hear during the podcast, I mean, I use WebPT. WebPT has done a fantastic job with this transition and really makes it easy for you to figure out what diagnosis you need for your patient 
when to use the seventh character. It's really all built in there. So um, that's why I wasn't too worried about this transition because I knew I had WebPT there to help me out. So uh, let's go quickly. Just a couple of things for the community board. Number one, I want to congratulate uh, my friend and colleague Marianne Ryan with her book, Baby Bod. Uh, number one on Amazon in a couple of different categories, which is awesome. So if you work with pregnant women, if you are pregnant, if you want to be pregnant, if you used to be pregnant, go out, get this book, Baby Bod. Um, you can just go to Amazon and Google it. And of course, uh, today is... Uh, Thursday the 8th. So if you're in New York City and you want to take part in New York Cares, there's a couple of different options. You can uh, go on to ptdayofservice.com and find that out. But if you want to volunteer through New York Cares, which is the uh, part of New York City PT Day of Service that I'm involved with, you have to sign up by tomorrow, Friday the 9th. So you can, again, go to podcast.healthywealthysmart.com. You can email me, and I will send you the info to sign up. All right. Without further ado, let's get to today's podcast with Mr. Rick Gawenda, all about the ICD-10 change. doing good, Karen. Thanks for having me again. Yeah, of course. Well, thank you for being the one to suggest we do this podcast. I think it's a great idea because so many people have questions on the ICD-10 transition. So hopefully we'll be able to clear up a lot of those questions today with your answers. So great suggestion. Thanks. Appreciate it. Okay. So we obviously have a lot to get into. So we are just going to get, we're just going to get right to it. The one question that I think you have been getting a lot and that I got a lot when I asked people was the seventh character question. So can you tell us what is the seventh character, first of all? Why is it there? Well, when a seventh character is required on an ICD-10 code, typically there's going to be one of three seventh characters that outpatient therapists are going to use. And they would be the letter A, the letter D as in David, and the letter S as in Samantha. And the difference between the three by definition is the letter A means it is the patient's initial encounter for this condition. And what they mean by initial encounter is the patient is receiving active treatment of that condition. Now, active treatment could be seen in the emergency department, could be surgical intervention, or it could be being seen by a physician for evaluation and management of that condition. Where the letter D, as in David, stands for subsequent encounter. And this is after the patient has already received active treatment of the condition, and they are now in the healing or recovery phase of that condition. And one of the examples that is used is follow-up visits after active treatment of the condition. And really, I think that's where outpatient physical occupational speech therapy is going to fall, 
into when a seventh character is needed, meaning they've already received active treatment. By the time they come see us, they're now going to be in the healing or recovery phase. Okay. And, okay. And then we have S, which stands for sequela. And this, these are going to be like conditions or complications that arise as a result of the injury. So, for example, you take maybe a second or third degree burn of the hand. Might scars form because of that burn? Well, in that example, the scars would be considered a sequela of the burn. So when the burn ICD-10 code gets coded on the claim form, that seventh character might be the other S, as in Samantha. Another example could be a patient that had a traumatic brain injury and suffered maybe some cognitive deficits, some speech disorders, a, an ataxic gait, hemiplegia, whatever that may be. But let's say they have therapy, post-traumatic brain injury, and then we discharge. We stop, they stop coming to therapy because they plateaued, they met their goals. But while this patient now returns to therapy 12 months later, 14 months later, 18 months later, and they still have some speech impediments, still have some cognitive deficits, still have some hemiparesis, whatever may be going on. And the therapist does his or her eval and determines those remaining deficits now are really a sequela of the TBI that maybe occurred 14, 18 months ago because that therapist has determined that patient really is no longer in the healing or recovery phase of that TBI, that the remaining deficits are a sequela of that TBI. So if they're going to code that TBI on the claim form, it's going to need a seventh character. That could also possibly be another example when they may use the other S as that seventh character. Okay, so... Okay. Uh, here's a question. Let's say you're seeing someone with uh, low back pain, because a lot of outpatient therapists see people for low back pain, right? So you've seen, you saw them, okay, let's say they went to the doctor, the doctor gave them an epidural shot or some other type of intervention. They come to see you for the first time. There you may need to use the, the seventh character D, which would be subsequent encounter, correct? Uh, well, in that example, believe it or not, low back pain, which is M as in Mary, M54.5, does not require a seventh character. Oh, so, oh. again, not all ICD-10 codes require a seventh character. For the most part, if you are reporting an ICD-10 code or codes from Chapter 19 or Chapter 20, they're always going to require a seventh character, always. In all of the other chapters in the IC10 book, it's going to be rare that any of those will require a seventh character. So let's just take, how about we take maybe a 16-year-old that's out playing basketball over the weekend, and they sprain their ankle. Mm -hmm. Well, the sprain of ankle is going to, the ICD-10 code for that is going to be in Chapter 19. It's going to require a seventh character. So let's say this, you know, the 16-year-old goes home. The ankle's kind of puffy, swollen. He's limping. Mom wants to take him to the, you know, urgent care. He doesn't want to go. So he wakes up Monday morning. The ankle's still swollen, still painful. He's still limping. Mom wants to take him to urgent care. But this this kid, he's pretty smart. He goes, Mom, I've been on Twitter. I've been seeing this hashtag, get PT first. Take me to my physical therapist. So mom takes him to the physical therapist first. 
Well, this IC10 code for an ankle sprain is going to be in chapter 19. It's going to require a seventh character. In my opinion, since this 16-year-old is being seen first by a physical therapist, this physical therapist is really going to do the active treatment to figure out what's going on with this person. And when they code the ankle sprain, in my opinion, they're going to code the letter A as that seventh character because it's the initial encounter. The physical therapist is the one uh, determining what's wrong with this patient. Now, assuming that gets all completed that first visit, when that patient comes in the second visit for therapy and the therapist has determined, okay, they're now, I'm now done doing active treatment, they're now in the healing or recovery phase of this ankle sprain, that seventh character would be the letter D, as in David, for that second visit. Now, take that same child, that same 16-year-old, and on Monday morning, they don't go see the physical therapist first. They go see the physician first. So the physician does his or her eval and management of the 16-year-old, You know, might order some diagnostic testing, whatever they may do, determines, okay, it's an ankle sprain, and they write a referral for physical therapy. That patient now goes sees the physical therapist on Wednesday for the ankle sprain for physical therapy. Even though it's the initial eval of the physical therapist, the physical therapist determines this patient has, has already received active treatment by the physician, and they're now in the healing or recovery phase. So even though they're doing the initial eval that day, on that Wednesday, they're still saying it's healing or recovery phase. So that first visit for them would still be the other D as in David, subsequent encounter. So I think the biggest mistake physical, occupational, and speech therapists make is they think, well, because I'm doing the initial eval, if the seventh character is required, I'm always going to use the letter A. And that's not true. What you have to decide is, does this IC10 code require a seventh character? And if yes, you have to decide, is this patient receiving active treatment from me? Or has that already been provided by somebody else? And now they're in the healing or recovery phase doing follow-up visits, which would be the letter D as in David. That's my kind of long-winded answer. No, it's a great answer. And could you define the term active treatment? Because I think that that can kind of trip people up a little bit. So if you see them for the first time, like in, in the first part of your example where they didn't go to see the doctor first, they went to see the PT, they coded the seventh character A for active treatment, and then when they come in for their next treatment, the active treatment is over and they're in the healing phase. So could you kind of just define that active treatment? Sure. And, you know, obviously I'll, I'll give the definition that active treatment from the IC10 book, which is very, is, in my opinion, is not too clear as it pertains, you know, as we want to use it for, say, outpatient therapy. Mm -hmm. But examples of active treatment that the IC10 book gives is surgical treatment, emergency department encounter, and e evaluation and treatment by a new physician. I also think that would include maybe any diagnostic testing, whether it be x-rays, CAT scans, MRIs, things like that. So when you take that 16-year-old in that first example where they did come get PT first, you know, to me, might that therapist have to be determining everything that would have maybe already been done by a physician via diagnostic testing? So might they be doing active treatment, you know, come up with a therapy treatment diagnosis of, say, this ankle sprain 
with the subsequent signs and symptoms of a therapy diagnosis, such as ankle joint pain, ankle joint effusion, difficulty in walking. And, you know, unfortunately, even APTA has not given a lot of examples of, quote, active treatment. That definition is it may apply to therapy. So what I tell people is most likely if this patient was seen in the emergency department, urgent care, uh, they were seen by a physician who then referred them to you for therapy, uh, they had surgical intervention of the injury, to me, that's probably was the active treatment that was done. And now that physician has determined the patient needs physical occupational speech therapy. They're now in the healing recovery phase. And that's going to be the letter D as in David. You know, also, the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services has done a lot of ICD-10 education over the last, especially 12 months. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And they did a teleconference back in December of 2014. And one of the topics during that teleconference was this seventh character, and the woman that was doing the talk, you know, gave the example that when a seventh character is required, that outpatient physical occupational speech therapy most likely would be in the, the D seventh character as a subsequent encounter. Got it. And so if you so let's go back to the example of the ankle sprain. He went to the doctor, he comes to see you, you code that seventh character as the letter D as in David. So then does every subsequent session with you, you still code the letter D onto the end of that um, diagnosis? Correct. So okay. assuming this, you know, 16-year-old, let's say they're going to have seven, eight visits of physical therapy, and you're going to keep that ankle sprain ISD-10 code on the claim for all seven, eight visits, uh, it would all have the letter D as in David. And to me, that ankle sprain is the, is the medical diagnosis you know, why he's coming to see you in this example for physical therapy is your treatment therapy diagnosis of, say, maybe, uh, you know, ankle joint pain, uh, ankle joint effusion, difficulty in walking, R26.2. And those ICD-10 codes, you know, they do not require a seventh character. The seventh character is actually on the ankle sprain, where effusion, say, of that right ankle would be coded M25.471 or maybe pain in the right ankle would be M25.571, difficulty in walking, R26.2. To me, those are the first three IC10 codes on the claim due to that ankle sprain medical diagnosis being the fourth one. Okay, so so this then kind of leads, oh, oh before we go, before we kind of lead into that, I, I just want to reiterate uh, what you said earlier that Uh, In the ICD-10 book, diagnoses in chapters 19 and 20 always need a seventh character. So if you're wondering, do you need a seventh character, do you not need a seventh character, uh, go to the ICD-10 book to chapters 19 and 20. Is that correct? Yeah, yes. Well, if you if you report an IC10 code codes from chapter 19 or 20, they're always going to require okay. a seventh character. There are also going to be some IC10 codes in chapter 13 uh, that may require a seventh character. Also, in I think it's chapter. Uh, let me just see real quick. I want to say it's chapter 15. Would be another one. You know, chapter 15. You know, pregnancy, childbirth, mm-hmm. and that. Mm-hmm. I know there's some IC10 codes in there, but for them. And you just want to look, if you look in the IC-10 book, if you look in the tabular list of the book, which is broken down by chapters, 
it will always say whether it needs a seventh character or not. It would like have a little check mark saying check seven or check seventh, and that's how you're going to know. But chapter 19, chapter 20 will always require a seventh character. Okay. Okay. Thank you very much. So now let's move on to kind of where we were going before I reiterated with the chapters of the ICD-10. So what, another question that people had was, how many codes do you need to have on your claim form? And actually, actually, sorry, sorry, let's back up. Are the diagnosis codes the same as the treatment codes? So as you just sort of uh, spoke about, we'll use the example of the ankle sprain. The ankle sprain is a medical diagnosis, but that might be different from what were the codes that we would use as a PT. So what is your primary code? What are secondary codes? How does all that work? Yeah, great question. Yeah, probably the most common question I get is, Rick, out of nearly 70,000 ICD-10 codes that it's exist. It's a lot of codes. Yeah, just, just tell me, Rick, which ones are medical diagnosis and which ones are treatment therapy diagnosis? And here's the answer. When a physician writes down one of those nearly 70,000 IC-10 codes on a referral, it is a medical diagnosis. It's given by a physician. When you, the therapist, write down one of those nearly 70,000 diagnosis codes on your eval form, on your charge sheet, on your billing sheet, whatever you call it, it is a therapy treatment diagnosis. So there is no such thing as, well, these 13,000 codes are medical diagnosis codes and these 15,000 are therapy treatment diagnosis codes. Because, you know, a physician can write low back pain on a referral. Well, because the physician writes it, that's a medical diagnosis. When you now do your eval, if you write down low back pain, it's called a treatment therapy diagnosis. Same same IC10 code, M54.5, but when a physician gives it, it's a medical diagnosis. When a therapist gives it, it's a treatment therapy diagnosis. Now, in that example I just gave, obviously the medical and the treatment given by the physician and the therapist, they match. But many times they're not going to match. An example we just used was that ankle sprain. You know, that ankle sprain was a medical diagnosis. But the, when the PT does his or her eval, they come up with the signs and symptoms, say, of the ankle joint pain, ankle joint effusion, difficulty in walking. Those are the treatment therapy diagnosis codes of really why this patient needs therapy and probably why the insurance company is going to pay for outpatient physical therapy. And in my opinion, the difficulty in walking, the ankle joint pain, the ankle joint effusion should be the first three IC-10 codes on the claim due to the applicable IC-10 code describing the ankle sprain. And if you look at the Medicare billing manual, it's CMS publication 100-4, chapter 5, uh, section 10.3. Now, states, do you just know that off the top of your head, or please tell me you have that written down in front of you? Uh, I don't have that written down. In you front know of that me. off the top of your head? I know off the top of my head. I'm one good, of those coding geeks. Good Lord. Okay, go ahead. So say that again. Say it one more time. One more time. I've done this talk once or twice. If you look at the uh, therapy billing manual, CMS.100-04, chapter 5, 
section 10.3. CMS talks about the diagnosis. And in this publication for the last several years, CMS has stated that they want to know the treatment therapy diagnosis of why they're coming for therapy. And that's what they say in this manual. And they say, if we're allowed by our state law, state practice act to give a therapy treatment diagnosis, that's what they want to see first on the claim. They want to know why this patient needs therapy. In an example, that's the ankle joint pain, effusion, difficulty in walking. Now, other insurances. If other insurances you know, mandate that the medical diagnosis be listed first on the claim, well, then in that example, you would have to put the ankle sprain diagnosis code in it first on a claim form, followed by the treatment therapy diagnosis in the second, third, and fourth spots in this example. Got it. Got so, it. so this is where, as the therapist, your sort of critical thinking needs to come into play and a good thorough evaluation needs to come into play so that when you're coding, you're basically giving the insurance company a much clearer picture of what this patient is, is going through or why this patient really needs PT. Correct. Got it. So is that, does that, in fact, make the ICD-10 codes work toward our favor as physical therapists? Yeah, it's a great question because, you know, people say, with ICD-10, people have always now saying, well, does this mean we need to put more ICD-10 codes on the claim and all of that? And in my opinion, I think it's probably what we should have been doing under, say, ICD-9. Mm -hmm. you know, just using that ankle sprain example, you know, many of us may have only put maybe just the ankle sprain ICD-9 code on the claim or maybe just difficulty in walking on, on the ICD-9 code on the claim. But I think even under ICD-9, we should have done a better job of painting the entire picture. And, you know, even under, under ICD-9, we should have coded the ankle sprain ICD-9 code along with the difficulty in walking, along with the ankle joint pain, ankle joint effusion under ICD-9. I think we need to do that under ICD-10. The only difference is under ICD-10, instead of just having, say, ankle joint pain under ICD-9, you know, we've got now ankle joint pain right side ankle joint pain left side, you know, ankle joint pain unspecified. Mm -hmm. People always ask, well, what, what do you mean by unspecified? Well, if you don't document the word right or left in your documentation, that means you'd have to code the unspecified IC10 code if it does exist. So I know one of the questions I get asked and that your readers are asking is, you know, how many IC10 codes do I need to have on the claim to get paid? And the simple answer, of course, is one. It only takes one IC10 code that is payable by the insurance carrier to get that claim through the system and paid. But with that said, I, I do think we should be putting the applicable number of IC10 codes on the claim form of why we're seeing this patient for therapy. Uh, I mean, take a knee joint replacement, for example. Why are you seeing them post knee joint replacement? Well, this could be because of knee joint effusion, knee joint stiffness, uh, knee joint pain, muscle weakness, and difficulty in walking. Right there, I just listed five, five therapy treatment diagnosis due to the knee joint replacement. Now, as long as you had at least one of those codes on the claim that was payable, I'm sure you'd get through the system and get paid. But let's take, for example, what if you had two knee patients come into your facility with a knee joint replacement? 
and on one of the claim, and you do 12 visits on both of them. And on one of the patients, you only put one or two IC10 codes on the claim. The other patient, you do put maybe five IC10 codes on the claim. And the insurance company is going to audit one of these two. Which one do you think they're going to audit? The one that had 12 visits and five IC10 codes listed, or the one that had 12 visits, only one or two IC10 codes listed? Well, my opinion is the one that only had one or two IC10 codes listed because they don't understand why one patient had five IC10 codes and took 12 visits, but this one only had one or two and still took 12 visits. So I don't think I don't think we've done a very good job of telling the insurance carrier here are all the issues, deficits, signs, and symptoms that we're treating with our patients. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. And and I have a question for you. Let's say let's take this uh, knee replacement patient now. So they're coming in to see you for a knee replacement, and you put you put difficulty walking, knee pain, knee effusion, uh, muscle weakness, range of motion deficits. Let's say this patient also has COPD or diabetes, or maybe they had a stroke in the past. Are you coding that as well to give a clearer picture to that patient as, or a clearer picture of the patient for the insurance company so that let's say you do get audited and this patient who maybe had a total knee replacement but also has diabetes, maybe they needed 20 visits instead of 12. Do you know what I mean? So would you, would you be writing those moderating variables down into your diagnosis codes as well? Yeah, great question. I mean, number one, all those things you just said this patient has, without a doubt, needs to be, should be, in the industry eval documentation under, say, past medical, past surgical history. That has to be there. If Now, to put an ICD-10 code on the claim form, uh, that diagnosis must be confirmed. So obviously, it's just not the patient telling you they have diabetes or COPD. Obviously, they would have had to have a physician you know, do whatever testing needs to be done to confirm, yes, they do have diabetes. Yes, they do have COPD. You know, yes, they did have a, a stroke, say, eight, nine months ago. Can you put that on a claim as, you know, say, a seventh, eighth, ninth ICD-10 code? Yeah, absolutely. But not only did you make you put it on the claim, not only would you have it, say, under past medical, past surgical history in the initial eval, but my hope is as you're seeing that patient for those 8, 10, 12, 16, 18 visits, that if progress is slower than expected or being hindered because of COPD, because of the diabetes, because of a previous stroke, that that therapist is talking about it in the written word in the assessment section of their daily notes or in the progress reports that they are writing. So I think it's a combination that just coding it and putting it under past medical, past surgical history, but also talking about it in the assessment section of ongoing documentation. Got it. So it sounds like what you're saying that if you're coding it, you better be talking about it and writing about it in your notes so that you have some uh, continuity between the two. Yes. Okay, great. Thank you so much for kind of clearing that one up. Okay, so we talked about the difference between diagnosis codes and treatment codes, when to code, when you need that seventh character. Uh, we talked about the difference between putting one or two codes and maybe four or five codes. Here's a question. How many codes is too many? Like, you're not going to, I mean, do you code like 20 different codes? I mean, that seems a little excessive. It, it does. Now, for your listeners that are in a private practice, they submit their claims on a 1500 claim form. 
and you, they can put up to 12 diagnosis codes on the claim form. For the your listeners that are not in a private practice, such as, say, a rehab agency, a skilled nursing facility, you know, hospital-based outpatient department, they submit their claims on a UB04 claim form. And that UB04 claim form picks up both the primary diagnosis as well as the next eight subsequent diagnosis. You can put more than the nine on, but I don't think the system, the system only picks up the primary and the next eight. So, you know, how many codes is too many? Um, my opinion, I think for whatever we are treating, we want to put the applicable codes on. With that being said, I think it's going to be rare, you know, for, say, a PT or OT in private practice to have, you know, to use all 12 diagnosis spots on a 1500 claim form. But, you know, since we're in the fall harvest season right now, I mean, you know, I've had the opportunity to meet a lot of therapists around the country teaching ICD-10. And I was down in Dallas earlier this year talking to a bunch of hand therapists, and they wanted me to give an example how to do the coding for what they call a jack-o'-lantern injury. And since, you know, it's October, we had the fall harvest season, you know, pumpkins right now are pretty big, carving pumpkins. And apparently what happens a lot in October is you typically have a mother that has her kids around her, you know, they're carving a pumpkin, making the eyes, the nose, the mouth, and all that with this big knife. Well, mom goes to push the knife into the pumpkin, the knife sticks. Unfortunately, her hand doesn't, and it slides down the blade, and she ends up lacerating a lot of her muscles, flexor tendon, uh, profundus, and superficialis, maybe also some of the nerves. Well, just that one example I give, they're actually like, 18 diagnosis codes for this injury because there's separate IC10 codes for each tendon that gets lacerated. There's separate IC10 codes for each you know nerve that gets lacerated. Plus, you've got the pain, the fusion, the numbness, the stiffness of the wrist, the hand, the fingers. I mean, there's so many IC10 codes there. So in that example, if that was a private practice person, yeah, you probably are going to have 12 on there because this person is a quote going to be a nightmare to treat, going to need many, many visits to get better. Whereby on a lot of our other patients, whether it be a rotator cuff tear, a CVA, an ACL repair, a hip replacement, knee replacement, you know, typically I think you're seeing maybe anywhere from about three to five, three to six IC10 codes on a claim. Got it. Please, Got it. please tell me there's an ICD-10 code for initial encounter with a jack-o'-lantern. Well, it's actually, there. It, there is uh, what we call an external cause code. So if you do report an ICD-10 code from Chapter 19, you're supposed to, you're encouraged to then report a code from Chapter 20, telling the insurance carrier either how the injury occurred where it occurred or what activity they were doing when it occurred. And that exa in that example I just gave, uh, there, actu there actually is uh, IC10 code for contact with a knife. Contact with a knife. Oh, of course, of course. And that's where I think a lot of people are finding those crazy codes like initial contact with a macaw, bitten by a cow, that sort of thing, right? Which bitten by a cow, I mean, if you're a farmer, that could be an actual real possibility. It could be. I mean, and not only is there contact with a knife, which is W26.0, and it would need a seventh character, uh, 
there's also a different one for contact with an electric knife, which is W29.1. See, and so maybe that you would find more around Thanksgiving. Yeah, Thanksgiving, yeah, with the turkey. Exactly, exactly. So, okay, these are actual possibilities that could happen in someone's life, I suppose. Okay. I'm, I'm sure it has happened. I mean, you know. That's why it's there, right? Or like initial encounter with a, an ocean mammal. There is one for an orca. Yeah. You know, Shamu. But I think one of the funniest ones, obviously, we spent some time, I spent some time on Twitter, you know, answering questions and that. And there's a lot of, you know, different activity codes. And people are saying, well, good thing there's not an activity code for like an iPhone and that. But, you know, how many times do you see people on, you know, funniest videos where they're walking, you know, they're on their phone, they're texting, doing something like that, and they, you know, fall into a, a fountain or something like that? Oh, my God. It's so funny you just said that because we were I was out with friends yesterday, and actually I was visiting a friend who he had a, anyway, he had a patellar tendon repair. He tore his patellar tendon playing yep. tennis. So perhaps that would be a code, right? Um code for tennis yeah yes code for so if you had that if you were say on your iphone and you were texting not looking and you you know then tripped and fell and maybe fractured something there's actually a code y93.c2 activity handheld interactive electronic device See which, that? Would be, which would be that that phone and then i think you said your friend with tennis there's uh definitely activity code for tennis in there as well yeah, it's, we were literally just talking about the video of that woman who was on her, I think she was like in the mall or something. She was texting and just literally fell face first into a fountain. And then she like got up and just kind of walked away trying to like shrug it off like no one saw. Yep. So that, it's on YouTube. It's hilarious. Um, I've seen that one. Yeah. Yeah. So now, so now there's a code for that. So here's my question. Let's say you code that for... Uh, injury due to handheld electronic device, would that be your primary code or would that be a secondary code? Oh, that would be like the, one of the, that'd be like the last code on the Got claim. It. Because, you know, obviously that, say that person that you just saw on YouTube, you know, it, let's say she did, you know, fracture her humerus because of that or something like that. So obviously we'd have a fracture code for the humerus. She'd have surgery. The reason she's coming for surgery would have been because of, say, shoulder joint stiffness, shoulder joint pain, muscle weakness of the shoulder. So those would be the first three due to the humerus fracture as a result of that Y93.C2 activity you know, involving a handheld communication device. So, so that's a lot of different codes. But it, it's meant to kind of give a, a truer picture of the person that you're treating. Am I correct? Correct. And, and why patients seek physical occupational speech therapy? You know, what were they doing when the injury occurred? Where were they when the injury occurred? That's really what those, you know, activity codes are, place of occurrence codes are, external cause codes are. It's telling the insurance company, you know, how the injury occurred, where it occurred, what they were doing, when it occurred. Okay, that all makes perfect sense to me. And that code, like you said, wouldn't be the primary code. It would be maybe one of the latter codes. Correct. Okay. So another question that I got was, uh, why are we bothering with ICD-10 when the rest of the world is getting ready for ICD-11? Yeah, great question. And I guess my 
my in my opinion, I don't think the rest of the world is getting ready for ICD-11 yet. Uh, you know, ICD-11 is supposed to come out in 2017, uh, but you know, countries are not going to transition to ICD-11 right away in 2017, just like countries did not transition to ICD-10 right away. I mean, ICD-10 came out in 1990. It took the United States 25 years to transition to, you know, ICD-10. Wait, it came out in 1990? ICD-10 came out in 1990, yes. Whoa. So it took the U.S. 25 years to transition to ICD-10. And, you know, and, of course, other countries around the world, you know, whether transition, whether it be 2000, 2002, 2004, I mean, they all transition different times. And by no means is the U.S., I don't think, the last country to transition but just because ICD-11 is supposed to come out in 2017 does not mean countries are going to all transition to ICD-11 2017. I think it's going to take, you know, many years for countries to transition. Now, my opinion, this is only my opinion, is countries that have been using maybe ICD-10 for the last 10, 12, 13 years, might they transition to ICD-11 prior to, say, the U.S., who just transitioned uh as we're doing this recording today, five days ago. So I think my opinion is the U.S. is going to be using ICD-10 for, you know, many years before they transition to 11. This is my opinion, uh, just because of the time involved, the cost involved, and all that. Um, so if, if all goes well for me, I'll be retired before ICD-11 gets implemented here in the U.S. Got it, got it. Okay, so it's not like we're... We need to be in this big rush to learn ICD-10, and then in two years, we're going to just switch anyway. That is correct. Okay, so let's go over. I know we gave little examples here and there as we were talking, but let's. a lot of people, what they really wanted was like a tutorial. Um, so if we can maybe go through, have you kind of go through the thought process of coding through ICD-10, I think that would be really helpful. So we were sort of talking before this and one of the diagnoses that I think you suggested that we use for this tutorial, which is very appropriate for any physical therapist, would be um, a total knee replacement. So let's say I'm the, I just had my knee replaced. I'm coming to you for the first time as a therapist. You do the eval how do you decide on what to code? Yeah, good question. Okay, so we're going to assume this person, say, had a right total knee replacement done, say, one week ago. And they're now coming to see you today, Monday, October uh, 5th, for the initial eval. Well, when you, the physical therapist, you do the eval, to me, there's two components of the eval. It's the subjective intake as well as the objective exam. So during the subjective intake, my opinion is one of the questions you're going to ask the patient is, do you have any pain in your knee? The patient's going to say yes. You're going to say, okay, on a 0 to 10 scale, how much pain are you in? And they're going to tell you, say, 4. You're going to document that. Now you're going to go into the objective exam. And as you do your objective exam, might you take girth measurements of the right knee compared to the left knee? And you're going to document the girth measurements. And you're going to say, okay, they've got a fusion in that right knee joint compared to the left knee joint. You're going to take range of motion measurements of the knee. And let's just say that they've got minus 8 degrees of knee extension and they've got 87 degrees of knee 
flexion. And then you analyze their gait. And let's say they're using a walker for ambulation. They've got a decreased stance time on that right lower extremity because of pain. And because they got a decreased stance time on the right lower extremity, they probably have a shortened stride length to the left. So you're analyzing gait on level surfaces and maybe up-down steps, things like that. So you do this whole eval. You write it up. You now have to ask yourself, okay, why am I seeing them for therapy? What's my treatment? What's my therapy diagnosis? And in my opinion, in that example, you're going to come up with five. You're going to probably have R26.2, difficulty in walking. You're going to have uh, M25.561 for pain in the right knee. You're going to have M25.661, stiffness of the right knee because of the range of motion deficits. You're going to have M25.441, a fusion in the right knee. They've got swelling in that right knee joint compared to the left. And then might you, have done, you would have done muscle testing. And maybe the right quads are fair plus, the hamstrings are good minus, the hip flexors are good minus. Maybe they got some muscle weakness going on in that right lower extremity. I think you'd also then code you know, M62.81 for muscle weakness. Now, to me, those are the first five codes on the claim due to Z, as in zebra, 96.651 for presence of a uh, artificial knee joint right. And then if you want to, you could also code Z, as in zebra, Z47.1 aftercare following joint replacement surgery. Well, see, I would, think, I would think you'd want to definitely... Put in the artificial, the, the Z as in zebra 96.651 and the Z as in zebra 47.1. Because if not, those five codes, if you just put those five codes for this person, I mean, gosh, that could be someone who had a meniscus repair. That could be someone who had an ACL reconstruction. So by not putting the artificial knee in aftercare for knee replacement, are you kind of missing a, missing a little bit of the picture of the patient? Oh, absolutely. That's why I think you should put those codes. And if you look at the coding book, the IC10 coding book guidelines, the coding book would actually tell you the order is to do Z47.1 first, then Z96.651 second, and then those other conditions, third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh, where CMS would want it the other way around. And this right now is where the IC10 book and the coding guidelines, what they tell you to do differ, say, from our professional guidelines as a physical therapist and what CMS is telling us to do. So I know APTA is trying to get clarification on, you know, let's all talk the same language. You know, why is the coding book saying to code the aftercare code first and then the joint placement second, followed by the therapy conditions? where CMS says they want to see the therapy conditions first, as do our professional associations want to see that first. Which way is right depends on the insurance carrier. You know, if you want to follow pure coding guidelines, you would do Z47.1 first. In this example, Z96.651 second, and then the therapy conditions. If you don't want to follow the coding guidelines and the insurance company is fine with you putting the therapy conditions first, then you could list those other five codes first that I mentioned, the knee joint effusion, stiffness, pain, et cetera, followed by the, the two Z codes.
Got it. So it seems like the best thing to do if you're confused on that as an individual practitioner is just call the insurance company and ask them which one they prefer or which one they're more likely to reimburse you for. I mean, is that a way to kind of solve this? Time-consuming and annoying, but solvable. Yeah, or, you know, obviously what, what were you doing under ICD-9 and, you know, was it working, you know, under ICD-9? And were they okay with that? And this is, kind of, like I said, just for the coding book and what they call AHIMA, the American Health Information Management Association. You know, this is where they differ from what CMS and our professional associations are saying what goes first. So my opinion, I can only give you my opinion. Sure, sure. My opinion is under ICD-9, if you were not using the, the V as in Victor codes for the joint replacements and aftercare, either at all or in the first position, you were under IC9 doing the knee joint pain, knee joint stiffness, stiffity walking under IC9, you were getting paid by the insurance company. My opinion is nothing's going to change since we transitioned to ICD-10. Got it. Got it. Got it. Okay. A little confusing, super helpful. Um, what are the biggest the biggest challenges that you've seen people face with this transition from ICD-9 to ICD-10? Yeah, you know, obviously, as we just implemented five days ago, I think the challenges were just getting ready and understanding that ICD-10 is really no different than ICD-9. You know, I, th I think people were just kind of freaking out about the number of ICD-10 codes that need to be on the claim, where it really should probably be about the same number that should have been on with ICD-9. You know, I think people are kind of nervous about the number of ICD-10 codes being nearly 70,000. But I think once they realize, you know what, I'm not going to be using all 70,000 codes. You know, right now under ICD-9, I have my maybe top, 25 top 30 codes that I use on 90, 95% of my patients. Well, why not make, put those top 25, top 30 ICD-9 codes on a piece of paper, number one to number 30, what would the, what would those translate into ICD-10? And that top 30 ICD-9 might turn into your top 69 ICD-10 or top 75 ICD-10. You know, I think the bigger challenge is still to be seen because those of us in private practice that saw patients last Thursday and Friday, October 1st, October 2nd, are now just submitting those claims to the insurance carriers. And Medicare pays a clean electronic claim in 14 days. So for those of us that saw Medicare patients on October 1, October 2nd, and even say today, October 5th, and now we're going to start submitting these claims to our Medicare contractor, I think the part is you know, 14 days from now. 15 days from now, are you getting paid? Did the claim go through correctly and all that? In private insurances, just depending on your contract and how fast they pay you, you know, are they going to be paying these claims? So I think that's the key is we're going to be okay, I think. I think on the front line, therapists and organizations, I think, are, are prepared for the most part. They did training, attended seminars, webinars, et cetera. I think our biggest concern is on, on the insurance company side, the clearinghouse side, were they ready, are they ready? And we're going to start to find out here in about 13, 14, 15 days when Medicare should, should start paying these claims that 
were seen and submitted October 1st, October 2nd. And if people, uh, you just mentioned, you know, taking webinars, going to classes, if, let's say if someone wants to get more information or they want to take a webinar or they, they want more education on this ICD-10 stuff, where could they go? Well, I mean, there's different sites, of course. If you go to cms.gov, and that's the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services, cms.gov, and you click on Met the Medicare tab, you can scroll down the left-hand side. You'll see it says ICD-10 or ICD coding, and you can click on that, and that would take you to the main page that CMS has in ICD-10, and they've got some materials out there uh, for people. Keep in mind, nothing is really therapy-specific on the CMS website. I guess that's where I get to do my plug now. You know, on my website, because I am a physical therapist and that's all I focus on is outpatient PTOT and SLP. If you go to my website, which is www.gawendaseminars.com, that's G-A-W-E-N-D-A, gawendaseminars.com, I have a lot of stories under current news about ICD-10. Also, under frequently asked questions, FAQs, I've got a page dedicated to ICD-10 where I have all kinds of questions and then provide the answers uh, on lots of topics, whether it be the seventh character, uh, claims, injuries, etc. And that's also what we call my gold members. If you subscribe to our website, you have access to all that content on the website. And then we've also done four pretty detailed webinars on ICD-10. We did one for pediatrics, for PTOT speech. We did a two-part orthopedic series for PTOT. We did an ortho part one that has 19 case scenarios, and ortho part two that has 15 case scenarios, where I give you a diagnosis, I tell you how the patient presents when you do the eval, and then I give you what the coding would be for that patient. So we did 34 of those for orthopedic conditions, I think the pediatric one has, I think, 14. And then I'm not sure if you have any SLPs that listen to, to your talks, but we also did an ICD-10 for SLP services. And I think we have 12 case scenarios for that. So there's a lot of information out on my website for either my gold members or if you purchase webinars. Well, that's well, great. That's thank, and thank you for all you do for making this uh, transition a lot easier for all of us. And uh, I know I appreciate it. I think today we definitely answered most of people's uh, most pressing questions. And again, uh, if you have any other questions, you want to take one of, of Rick's seminars, uh, goendaseminars.com, right? Yes. Okay. I want to thank you for all that you do. I mean, not just with the talk you and I are doing, but I know you do a lot of obviously other talks with other professionals. So I want to thank, you know, you for everything that you do to disseminate, whether it be clinical or business topics, to all of your followers that I, I know help them in a in their day-to-day -day business. I know you don't always get the thanks for that, but uh, on behalf of all your listeners, I'll thank you for what you do, too. Oh, thank you very much. I appreciate it. And um, again, everyone, uh, if you want more information, go to cms.gov, go to gwendaseminars.com. Uh, if you, I, ha, I use WebPT. If you use WebPT, they're doing a great job and they have some uh, great seminars and webinars on WebPT as well. Uh, I can only talk about them because that's what I use. So, Rick, thank you so much for taking the time out and coming on today.
thanks, Karen. Thanks for having me. And, and I would second web PT. We use them in our practice too. Yeah, they're so far. It's, I've I've found them to be really really great and and a, a big help for for me personally for my practice. Not that you know this is a commercial for web PT, but they are doing a really good job. Um, so anyway. Thanks, everyone, for tuning in today. I hope we answered a lot of your questions about ICD-10. If you have more, you can ask on Twitter. Uh, my handle is at Karen Litzy NYC. And Rick, your handle is? At Gwenda Seminars. All right. So hit us up on Twitter if you have any more questions. Have a great week and stay healthy, wealthy, and smart.